This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminated on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it cannot be complained or criticized about by uh, John Syracuse. It's my co-host. I'm Dan Benjamin. We'd like to thank FreshBooks.com, Online Invoicing, and Rackspace.com for sponsoring this show. And as I mentioned, this is uh, episode number eight. Uh, nine, rather. Or eight. Could be nine. It's nine. Let's go with nine. It's episode nine. And uh, today we're going to be talking about... Well, first we have follow-up, but do we want to announce the topic? Sure, yeah. Today we're going to do follow-up on both topics from last show, the iPad 2 and the Apple strategy tax. And then our main topic, which we'll squeeze in if there's time, (laughs) is uh, no iLife is an island. Yeah. This has been on the list for a long time. Since the beginning. And this is one I'm finally glad we would. This is the right time to get to it because everybody's applauding Apple right now. As they should be. Great new stuff coming out, I think. But this they they, they might have gotten some of this wrong. So we'll talk about that. But first we gotta do the follow up. Yep. Did you pre did you order your iPad too? So uh, my wife actually I don't think has officially picked which model she's getting, or uh-huh. narrowed it down, but she went to the store today for some reason. Just to I don't know if she was gonna buy it on the spot or she just wanted to see one or whatever but as soon as she saw the lines she just turned around and came back what were the lines like out your way i'm guessing pretty bad if, if yeah she... and and she was annoyed that they're not selling them or even showing them apparently until 5 p.m right i don't know if there wasn't any but it was just a giant line and she wasn't going to sit there for three hours and wait in it to get in and either buy one or look at one at five so i told her not to bother i told her we'll wait until the weekend and see what it's like but she she could not resist she was drawn to the store so no i don't have one yet Maybe the next time we talk, you will. What about ordering one? Do you, would you ever consider that? No, I figured I'll, you know, we'll pick one up in person. I didn't want to deal with waiting for it to come in the mail or whatever. Plus, I've got packs all this weekend, so I'm not going to be around. Right. But I'm, she'll probably get one. So by next week, I think we'll have one, assuming okay. stock holds up. Right. Don't know what the inventory situation is Always like. a question. So a little bit of iPad 2 follow-up uh, from talking about it last week. Uh, one of the things that I meant to mention that I saw on Twitter, a comment someone made on Twitter, I wish I could remember who it was because I thought it was uh, very smart, but it was during the keynote uh, when they were showing the, during the keynote, during, during the press event where right. they were showing the, introducing the iPad too. And someone tweeted almost immediately when they showed that smart cover thing with the magnets yeah. that, that Apple will make more money off selling those covers than, than any other tablet maker will make off <laughs> selling their tablets. Wow. And that is so true because the margins on those covers must be just unbelievable, especially that $70 leather one. Like yeah. I don't, all, all accessories are just, you know, money factories. Like, I mean, I don't, maybe it's not as extreme as it is at like Best Buy where, you know, Best Buy sells you a $2,000 TV and they make $20 <laughs> in profit, but yeah. they sell you a $40 uh, cable and they make $30 in profit. So basically selling that cable is more profit than selling that gigantic TV. A better, a better analogy might even be the movie theater popcorn and drinks and snacks, which are, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. $9 for a drink. Yeah, it cost them a fraction of a cent. Yeah. Right. So where companies, I mean, but it's different in Apple because Apple's making huge money on both of them. But you just look <laughs> at those accessories, man, and you're like, it's unbelievable. And, and it came up back to me again this week because a friend of mine at work was asking me about, uh, I was thinking about getting an HDMI adapter uh, for an iPad or, uh, but then, you know, it's $40. So he could get that HDMI adapter for the iPad so he could see his iPad's picture on his television, like with the MLB app or, uh, or whatever. Yeah. Or he could get an Apple TV for a hundred dollars, 
So the HDMI adapter, it's not half the price of the Apple TV, but it's creeping up on being half the price of an Apple TV, or it's half the price of like a refurb Apple TV. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a strange decision to be making. Well, I could I could buy this piece of plastic and metal with no active components, or I could buy an entire Apple TV. Right. And you know, it's a toss-up kind of because you know, with the cable, yeah, it's half the price, but then you don't get to do things wirelessly. With the Apple TV, you accomplish what you wanted, which is showing your MLB stuff on your big screen TV, but you get a whole Apple TV. But I think yeah. that shows the absurdity of, I mean, I wonder if those things will meet in the middle. Like, will the Apple TV ever go down to <laughs> 79 bucks? but then like the new, you know, Thunderport adapter for the iPad 3 is going to be, you know, 69 That was a $10 difference. <laughs> Some sort of a, a singularity happening here. I'll, I'll, I think my brother was the one who noted a while back that the new price point for not being able to walk out of the Apple store with, it used to be 30 bucks. Like <laughs> nothing in the store was less than $30. Now it seems like it might be increasing because... Yeah. That HDMI adapter is thirty nine. I, I guess there are still things for thirty dollars. I'm sure there are. Like an, I think the I think the iPad dock is twenty nine. Do you know if they still have that? You asked. Yeah, they came out with a new one. They did. Yeah, they oh. came out with a with a new iPad two dock. So people, our our beloved uh, nerds, our good friends in the chat room, uh, are asking if I got one. I did. I ordered it uh, this morning. I got a thirty two gig black Wi Fi only with the gray cover which is and the, the cover is the only thing shipped, right? yeah the cover shipped so i'll have that monday i think you can just play with i think you just play with that by itself it's almost as good as an ipad <laughs> you just open and close it on top of like i don't know your desk right because it won't work with the existing ipads but i can try all right i also got the hdmi adapter because i the way that we capture video on these shows uh one of the one of the ways that we do video on the video the video shows that we do is using uh, HDMI capture. So it would be very cool to be able to capture the iPad screen directly this way whenever we want to demo an iOS app or talk about something on iOS. We'll be able to do it in a in a very nice way without having to worry about glare or shoulder-mounted cameras or yeah. any of that madness. So yeah, uh, I got you've that. You've got to have that. Yep. But otherwise, I, I wouldn't... I mean, we have... Uh, as of tomorrow, we're going to have three Apple TVs here. One old one and two new ones. Because the MLB app forced my hand there. They come free with your cereal now? Just you get a free Apple TV at the bottom of the box? If you empty <laughs> yeah. Send well, proofs of purchases? Here's the problem. I, I could watch the MLB. I could watch baseball all the time. And I needed to, you know, I, I needed to be. I, it's a requirement. I had to be able to do that. And my wife, on the other hand, although she is actually way better than me when it comes to uh, playing sports, she played sports through high school and, and a little bit in college, and like at a team where she was on a team at her job for a while. Uh, and I, I can barely throw straight. I mean, I I don't want to talk about it, but even if she does not enjoy watching as much. Like she could call a game, like oh I'll say oh this this guy just tripled. Like, oh he should have thrown light. You know I mean she can do the whole thing, but she just doesn't enjoy it the way that I do. Uh, but so I have to I had to have one Apple TV just for the MLB. And then the other one, after this, net, why didn't you tell me Netflix streaming was so good? Every uh, because, show my kids could not, ever want to watch is on this thing. I guess it's good for kids. I don't know. I, I get most of my kids' stuff off the DVR, but every time I go on to, to Netflix streaming, I'm disappointed by the things that I can only get on disc because we have a disc subscription too. And whenever there's something I hear about, I'm like, oh, that's a really old movie and it's obscure. I'm sure that's on instant and it's not. And it's all—it's not Netflix's fault. It's all the content owners are. There's stupid. so much great stuff though on there, especially for especially for kids that 
you know, they, they sent me this thing. I, I canceled the subscription of them years ago. And they sent me this thing. You know, we'd love for you to come back and try it out here. Try have another free month. So I did the uh, free month. Uh, and and uh, man, there's so much great stuff out there. And it works so nice on the Apple TV. So now I'm going to get another one of those. First, yeah, we, first world problems. We may end up with one of those eventually, but I'll um, see if I can hold out for the second gen Apple TV. Because <laughs> your TiVo will do it, right? Yeah, I, I, my TiVo will do it. My PlayStation will do it. My Wii will do it. Just everything attached to my TV will stream Netflix. <laughs> but not MLB. No, I'm not a big baseball guy. so Nobody's perfect. Yeah. All right, onward. Yeah, so uh, the other iPad thing that I saw snowballed this week for some insane reason is this whole CPU issue of uh, what's inside an Apple A5. Um, and the last show, we talked about it and what I basically said, my recollection is that I was relaying a conversation that I had with some people from Ars Technica about some, and I think I called them dark horse theories about what could be in there. Right. Uh, I guess I didn't express enough that the obvious answer is that it's an A9. Like that's what everyone just assumes it is. And the mm. reason we have this dark horse theory is like, well, wouldn't it be fun to think about what, it, what else could possibly happen before we know, you know? And that's when we started talking about, well, it could be two A8 cores inside there because Apple is conservative. And the, the only information we had was some stats on the performance. We didn't even know if, you know, the battery size was the same. It was just mostly just speculation. But then during the week, I saw story after story about, I don't know, they were never attributed to, to any particular person or source, but just more speculation about, you know, could it be a different core? And, you know, I don't know. None of them had any information either. So I don't know if we take any blame for that. But uh, I certainly got a lot of feedback that either I shouldn't have been speculating without the having enough information or that I was totally wrong and shouldn't have been insisting that it was two A8s or something. This was not my theory to begin with. It was, right. it was just something that we were talking about. So to, to my knowledge, we still don't know for certain what it is. Since then, we have learned a few things. One thing that we learned, I think we learned this during the show, if I'd been paying more attention to the chat room, was that the batteries in the iPad 1 and 2 are the same size. Not physical dimensions-wise, but in terms of power. They're both 25 watt-hours, and that's mm. really what matters. It doesn't really matter how big the battery is. You just want the power rating. Um, and from listening to people's reviews, it seemed like the screens look very similar. Uh, I don't know if they draw exactly the same power, but they seem to be... Uh, they look the same externally, more or less. Uh, right. Gruber was even saying that they're exactly the same he, size. He, he basically, did, Yeah, he basically said they are the same screen. Right, and all they did was change the rim to be a little bit narrower, so that's why the iPad 2 is smaller. So that gets back to the whole thing of like, well, if the battery's the same size and the screen is the same uh, and everything else inside it seems to be uh, at least as power-hungry or more than, than it used to be, like the GPU is 9x as fast or whatever, we don't know what power-power-hungry is, but the bottom line is looking for components inside there that could, that could account for a CPU taking more energy is, is harder. Right. Um, so... That's what we've learned since last time, but that doesn't give us any more answers. You, it still doesn't tell you whether it's, it's an A9 core and there are two A8s because it could be a shrink. It could be, you know, 32 nanometers. And I think the other one was 45 or something like that. So you have no idea what the power draw is. iFixit hasn't tar- uh, torn one open as far as I know yet. So we really don't know what's going on in there. But 99.9% chance it's an A9 core. And this A8 theory was really just an amusing possibility to think about before we had any information. Um, it's too bad that we don't have the information now and we could just settle it once for all. I thought it was funny to look at the Wikipedia page because I remember during last show, I think I pulled up the Wikipedia page and it said flat out, the Apple A5 uh, you know, uses the ARM A9 core. And in the time between last week's show and now, 
that page has gone through many, many, many revisions. Oh, really? You've been watching it? Random people, someone... I, d- I just looked at it uh, in preparation for this show, and I went through the history, and I'm like, wow, it's just been like an edit war of like someone saying, no, it's, it's 2A8 <laughs> course, because I read it on this article that sourced the story that they heard from this thing that... And then someone changes it back to A9 and said, no, the A8 can't do SMP, which is true, by the way. And I said, they would have to add cash coherency, you know, and, and Apple's ARM license doesn't allow that. And then someone will change it back and say, you don't know what their license is. You know, huge edit war. At one point, the page said, the Apple A5 contains an A9 core or two A8 cores. Like, they're just coming right out and say, we have no idea. It's either this or it's that. Or it could be something else, really. Mm-hmm. I should have changed. I, I felt like editing the page and changing it to say, the Apple A5 contains some sort of computing core. I think we could probably say that's true. But at this point, I think the last time I checked the Wikipedia page was saying it was an A9. But all of these things, you know, they have the little footnotes on Wikipedia saying where they're cited from. Mm-hmm. They would all cite articles of just people guessing like we were on the last show. So I don't see how that's quite a citation. But the bottom line is we don't know. I apologize for any <laughs> anything that I may have done to foster this crazy route of speculation on the Internet. Because you know, on the Internet, it's like a game of telephone and eventually... You get far enough away from whatever the original source was, which I don't think was us, but whoever it was, eventually the fifth person to report it reports it as fact, as if someone knows something, or just flat out states it as if it's uh, you know something that that's true. Right. Uh, and then people get angry. Um, the chat room is saying that it's my fault. I'm, I contend that someone else, because it wasn't even my theory to begin with. Someone else must have. I think this was something that people would have come up with on their own. Simply because they say, if it's an A9 core, how can they be getting 10 hours of battery life out of it? Mm-hmm. And then it's, well, it's not. Um, so I think that's all we have to say for the iPad 2. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we'll both have them next week so we can talk more about them. But I think it's been covered well in other places. Uh, the other thing we talked about last week is the, the Apple strategy tax. This had even more feedback than the iPad 2 stuff, uh, thankfully, because I think it's a lot more media and it was a lot more thoughtful and interesting feedback from a lot of people. Most of the feedback that I saw said you got it wrong. Uh, I would say it's tough to, when you get feedback on any issue that's like controversial like this or where you're saying something bad or something good about Apple, it tends to pull out the people who either are big Apple fans and love everything that Apple does. And if you say anything that sounds remotely hurtful, they yell at you. Or you get the people who just hate Apple with a passion. And anytime you say anything remotely bad, they come out and say, oh, right on. Yeah, I hate Apple. Apple killed my dog. Um, so I got both of those types of emails, but I think they were in the minority. It wasn't that inflammatory of an issue. Mostly what I got were things in the middle, which were other people being thoughtful about it and bringing up, you know, interesting points. And and I was glad to see that. Um, so the one point that I think I really should have talked about both in the article and the podcast that I didn't get to, and it was just because it's kind of like, sometimes I I assume too many things like uh, whatever I'm thinking in my head, I assume everyone else is starting from that same premise. So one thing that I didn't talk about, about Apple, which I think everybody knows, but it would have been a good time to bring it up was the reasons Apple is like this. Why does Apple enter these businesses? Why does Apple do what it does? Uh, Why does Apple make iLife? Why do they, why do they, why do they make Safari? Why don't they use flash? You know, uh, why do they start a bookstore? Why do they do all this stuff? Um, And it's rooted in some extremely, logical thinking basically apple has in the past gotten screwed over when they've relied on other companies to do things for them and that goes way 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 back almost every possible important point in apple's history you can find this phenomenon going on there um you know all the way back to i think i wrote something years and years ago about uh 
at the Apple Adobe relationship and how Apple really wanted Adobe and Microsoft and others to be on board with them to the change to this new Rhapsody operating system with the new uh, Next Drive APIs. Mm. And those guys said, yeah, no, thanks. Um, and that was sort of when, when Apple's power was, was at its lowest. Uh, they really just didn't have any clout. No one, everyone thought they were going out of business. No one wanted to have anything to do with them. Um, and so they just didn't have the pull to talk to these other big companies and say, please, we'd really like to make a new operating system with an all-new API. Will you please rewrite your, all your apps? Will you rewrite Office? Will you rewrite Photoshop? And they said no. And so that's why Apple had to do the carbon thing with Mac OS X and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, all the way up the line, you can think of, well, they relied on Microsoft to, to create their web browsers, that Internet Explorer, but that kind of stagnated. Uh, and relying on Adobe to have uh, Photoshop. They They basically relied on you know, relying on other companies to make great applications for this for this iMac that they made, you know, or, you know, think about relying on other companies to make applications for digital music players. At a certain point, Apple said, we have to show these people what what we want to happen. No, no one else is going to make the iLife suite for us. No one else is going to make the applications that are going to sell our hardware. So we're going to do it ourselves and show everybody how it's done. So they made the they made iTunes, they made the iTunes music store, you know. Uh, they made iLife and said, yeah, this, these great computers we have with all these features, you should make applications like this is what sells them. And so they made that entire suite of stuff. Uh, they even started to encroach on Microsoft's territory with making, you know, the iWork suite and numbers and stuff like that. It just At this point, Apple really believes that if you want something done right, do it yourself. Yeah. And you see, you see that everywhere. Um, so this is what's motivating Apple to do all these things. Why does Apple need to make a bookstore? Because they don't want to rely on Amazon to be their bookstore because every time they rely on somebody else, that that, that other party lets them down. It lets them down either by not paying as much attention to the, to the Apple's platform as Apple thinks it should or by making a cruddy product or just by, you know, letting their products stagnate and not and just not giving uh, Apple's platform all the due that they think it deserves. So they don't they don't even want to get in that situation. It's the same thing with Flash. They they want they don't want uh, people writing Flash applications and that becoming like the platform that that they're that is running on all their iPhones and stuff. Because what if Adobe loses interest and said, "Oh, really? Adobe's making a strategic partnership with uh, Google or with Microsoft or something?" And yeah, the the Flash runtime for iOS is going to kind of be left behind, and we're not really interested in updating that. I think Apple feels like that already happened on the Mac because Flash on the Mac for years and years was much worse than Flash on Windows in terms of performance. That still is. Yeah, and, and what could Apple do? Please, Adobe, we'd really like it if, you know, yeah. I, we, don't, we don't like it when Flash is better on Windows. It makes Macs feel slow. It's grinding the batteries down on our lap. Can you please? And, it, you know, Apple doesn't have control. They can do is beg, and Apple does not want to be in that position. And the Apple today is way, way, way more powerful than they used to be, but they're still coming from that place. They still have that sort of corporate baggage uh, of thinking, if we rely on anyone else, we will be let down. Um, so we're going to do everything ourselves, and so that's why, even though the Kindle is is on iOS and is a bookstore, Apple's going to be like, no, we're going to do our own because we think we can make a better uh, book reader, um, and we really don't want to rely on those guys. Uh, and, and that's, I think, that's an important. If people aren't familiar with that whole uh, psychological factor of the Apple as corporate person, it, it may not make much sense as to why Apple does all the things that it does, but. Uh, that that goes a long way towards explaining why Apple starts into these businesses. Um, well, just remember back before Apple had its own successful web browser, for example. Yeah, I mean, those were, dar- those were they didn't have control of something that was so important to their business. 
And the thing the thing about it is that like Internet Explorer IE5 for Mac was a great web browser. It had better CSS support than than any browser on any other platform. It's a lot of the reason why web designers flocked to the Mac back mm. then. Uh, and so you would think, oh, isn't Apple happy? They've got like the most awesome web browser, and it's awesome in the things that Apple likes. Like it makes things look nicer. CSS makes fonts look nice. It's a great, you know, Apple should be happy. No matter how good things are, Apple always is of the mind that, yeah, things are good now. Like the Kindle app is great now, and Amazon is putting all its money into its iOS stuff now. But what happens next year, the year after that, the year after that? And, and true to form, Internet Explorer for the Mac kind of started to stagnate and the mac os 10 version was this ugly carbon port and it was just kind of gross and firefox was not just getting off the ground it was not really apple style and so how can you have a modern platform that doesn't have a web browser that's up to your standards yeah. so this is just another another time that apple is learning the lesson of you know let's not let other people do this we have to do it ourselves right it's all about controlling your own destiny in a lot of ways yeah now now i still uh believe everything that I said last time about the Apple strategy tax. This, this, these, all these assumptions are in my mind when I was writing it. I just should have expressed them better because a lot of people would, would give feedback and say, uh, this is why, uh, this is why you're wrong. Uh, Apple's doing all this stuff. Uh, it's not painting itself into a corner. It has to do this because look what happened last time. Um, and I would say that there has to be a limit. Like you have to know you, the situation they're in now is not the situation they were in before. And you can't, you can't do everything yourself. You can't think that everyone is always going to let you down. The, the nature of a platform is that you're building something that other people can build on top of. Uh, you know, everybody needs third-party developers. Uh, and you can't just say, well, no one else can do this as well as we can. So if there's any remotely significant business, we're going to do it all ourselves. Um, and that, I think that that's why the, the strategy tax stuff is, is still valid, that they're, they're overstepping, that they're neuroses about being let down by other partners is causing them to overreach and to just go a step too far on the, on the strategy tax stuff. Um, you feel better? Yeah, I think so. I think I actually have some more on this. Really? But for, well, before you do, we'd like to thank uh, freshbooks.com for sponsoring today's episode. You know, I, I started five by five and, and I was thrilled to do that. But the part of it, and this is, I, I do not enjoy spending time on the administrative stuff. This is just, I don't, especially things like invoicing. Uh, so this is where FreshBooks comes in. This is an easy-to-use online invoicing service. It will save you a lot of time. It will get you paid faster, and it will make you look professional because it, it really looks great. It's much better than, you know, coming up with your own thing in, uh, you know, pages or Word or whatever and, like, you know, sending that. That looks like, like garbage. This is the real deal. And getting started is completely free. Go to FreshBooks.com. And you sign up for the free account. And here's something very cool they're doing just for uh, hypercritical listeners. They're going to give away a birthday cake every day to somebody who signs up uh, from the show. So all you need to do for a chance to win the birthday cake, it does not need to be your birthday. I've cleared this with them. You just show up and uh, you enter in hypercritical when they ask the question of how you heard about us. And, uh, and you could win one. So do that at freshbooks.com when you sign up. That's it. You don't need to invoice anybody though, John, do you? I do need to. You know what I use for invoicing people? I, sh- I should use an actual professional service. What I actually use is the invoice template in pages. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That that's and that, But how do you keep track of that? How do you know if they yeah, paid no, you? I'll, and how do you, if there's no follow through? It's a big man. I mean, obviously, it's not as a big a problem for me because this is not like, you know, I, this is not my regular gig and I do so few invoices a year. But if I had to do more than one or two of these a month, I would just shoot myself yeah. doing it that way. It's no good. Well, now you can, you like birthday cake. You, here's what you do. You, you go sign up and then you, you bring home a cake. You tell your kids it's their birthday 
And they're like, Dad, it's not my birthday. I'm like, it's your birthday when I say it's your birthday. Eat some cake. It's one of those things where you can't win if you're uh, an employee of the... Uh, no, you can you win know? this. Just sign up. Yeah? Yeah. I, I feel like that's kind of gauche. That's cake. why I don't enter any Ars Technica contest. The cake is a lie anyway. Yeah, exactly. There's a little, right. por- little portal joke there. Uh, Apple strategy text. So, God, I have so many You notes. still have more on this? Yeah, I do. I, I, try, to, I try to get through it quickly. Um, so, one of the other things uh, that people brought up, which I hadn't thought of, which is a very good point, uh, as to uh, what's the particular motivation in the case of the iBook store, which, which I think is an overreach. What, what would make Apple overreach in that way besides the whole we have to do it ourselves because what if Amazon ever forsakes us? Um, and that's the whole... I'm going to do a quick sidebar. So people love to personify Apple in the form of Steve Jobs, as in like, as in like you know, the corporate person is this actual physical person, and they're the one and the same, and whatever whim he has, if he likes the color blue, Apple will change all of its buildings to blue, because he is Apple, and mm-hmm. Apple is him. Um, and we know where that comes from, there's some truth to it, but it's also kind of ridiculous at a certain point. But that's how people think about it. Uh, I think it's a bad move to think about it like that, but it's shorthand for a lot of people. And so the shorthand, uh, one person gave me your feedback, is that Steve Jobs just had to be pissed about the Amazon MP3 store, mostly because the the record labels used uh, the existence of Amazon uh, as a viable music competitor to gain leverage over Apple because they were afraid that they'd given Apple too much power as the distributor to digital music, having whatever it was, 70% of the digital music yeah. distribution market share. And they, and they saw Amazon. Amazon, that's a big company. They sell lots of stuff. Uh, they're, they're great at selling things. They're a big name. And they want to do a music store. We need to go and talk to them because we need some sort of leverage against Apple. And for a while, you remember the Amazon MB3 store had better prices than uh, than the Apple store. Do you remember that? Yeah. And that was basically like the music stores giving Apple in the personified form of Steve Jobs the finger to say, yeah. "Yeah, you thought you had the power. Well, we're right. gonna, you know, we're, we're gonna, gonna give take it back. Competitor. We're gonna give a competitor a better deal because we like to play you two off of each other. So it's a good business move from the record label's point of view. But Jobs had to be pissed, man, that, that Amazon was, you know, I don't know, like. It's silly to be angry about this because it's just business. And how could he be? How could you be? You know, he's a, he's an adult. He's a businessman. How could he be really be angry? But every cartoonish caricature of Steve Jobs that you see on television or in people telling stories makes you think that he's the type of person that would be all pissy about this. Well, how dare they start a music store? They don't they know that we, you know, our music store is better. Boy, I hate them. No, I don't think he's really like that. But this, <laughs> this is the. Uh, the impression that I get from a lot of people who tell me about this boy, boy, Jobs, and, and now he holds a gr- that he holds a grudge. Now Jobs is pissed at Amazon. So not only did would Apple not want to rely on Amazon, but you know what? F Amazon. They they took they hurt us in the music negotiations by daring to have a music store. So we're gonna do mean things to them. Nah, nah, poo poo. I don't buy this theory because I think it's silly and childish. And as silly and childish as Jobs may have been in his youth, I I feel like he has moved way past that by now. But behind all that is the kernel of truth that business relationship-wise, Amazon finds itself at odds with Apple in at least this one very recent area. And it could have added to the motivation of saying, why should we have a bookstore when Amazon is so great and these other things are so great? Why should we enter that arena? There's that little tiny prick you know, in the back (laughs) of your head, even if it's not boys to say, well, they did kind of enter our business when they did that music store thing, so I don't feel so bad. All right, about it's it. kind of like the straw, maybe, that broke the camel's back there. 
it could just even be subconscious. It could be something they just never even bring up or someone brings up at the end of the meeting and they all laugh about, but because like, it's not, of course, that's not the real reason we're doing it. You know, we had the real meeting about the reasons we're going to do it, but you know, I thought it was a good point. Uh, Aaron Pressman brought that up to me. Um, uh, another point, this is, uh, Rory Berger sent this in was the whole premise that winning is only defined by maximum market share. Uh, and that was, that was definitely a premise of what I was talking about, uh, with the strategy tax and that, well, how can the, the iBook store guy do his job? Cause it isn't his job to be the most successful store and success is defined as having the biggest market share. Hmm. And he said, well, you know, Apple, Apple has lower market share and lots of stuff. They just want to have the most profit. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of this theory. I think that market share isn't everything and that you can't, you know, you can't buy a house with market share. You want profit, you want money. But I think Apple wants both. I think they want the big fat margins. They want the most profit and they also want to have the most market share because if you don't have those volumes, no matter how much profit you're making off the, you know, the, the, the little corner of the market you have, without the volumes, you lose lots of things. You got to have the volume to get to get the good deals, to have the power in negotiations, to get the good parts prices on hardware and stuff. But even on software or on stores, to have the leverage against the, the publishers, you need to have the volume. Um, so I can't imagine a scenario in which a big part of that iBook store guy's job is to just is to get market share because you just need to have volume. Uh, you doesn't mean you need to have 90% and just like crush everybody else or 100%. But if that guy said, well, we're making tons of profit, uh, you know, but we only have 10% market share. But the boy, we have the most lucrative 10%. I think his bosses would say that's good and all, but we really have nego- no negotiating power against the uh, the publishers if we're only 10% of the market. So you need to like step up your game. Hmm. Um, so that's my take on that. Uh, one more. Oh, uh, someone brought on. up. Yeah, this is the last one, I think. I, and I'll skip over what we have for the rest of the follow-up because I have other follow-up we can do too. Uh, one more. Uh, Alex K. brought this up. Uh, a past example of a possible strategy tax conflict of interest that, that hurt consumers. And that would be the lack of Blu-ray support on Macs. Um, basically saying that the theory there is that Apple didn't want to put Blu-ray drives in its Macs because it didn't want to hurt its digital yeah. Mm. Uh, distribution of of movies and stuff yeah what do you think about that i don't know if i buy it entirely because the it's a little bit mixing two things there because you could say well they did that because they didn't want they wanted people to buy stuff from the itunes store buy your video from us don't buy blu-ray discs uh because we don't sell blu-ray discs but on the other hand it's also kind of part of just apple's vision of the future the reason we all like apple is that they look ahead and see how things should be in the future and they just make that happen as soon uh, you know sooner rather than later and by not putting Blu-ray in there, they were signaling that digital distribution is the future. And whether you buy from us or not, we're not doing this out of selfish you know, reasons. It's mostly just because we think in the future, disc, putting bits on discs is silly and dumb. And it, we, should ma- we should hasten its demise as much as possible. And I'm inclined to say that I don't think, first of all, I don't think this move actually helped Apple sell more videos on the iTunes store. Because if people wanted discs, they were going to get discs, uh, even if their Macs wouldn't play them. I think that's such a small market of people playing movies on their on their Macs. I, it hurt Apple a little bit in the professional media production market, where they wanted Blu-ray because they just had to produce them as part of their work, and and they had, Macs couldn't understand them, so they had to buy external drives and stuff. But uh, I'm inclined to say that it is not an example of strategy tracks, and is more of an example of like Apple ditching the USB ports. Mm. It's pretty much like that, where they said, look, the future is going to be USB. Let's forget about all these other interfaces. Let's drop them from the machine to force everyone to move along. And that's what they were doing with the lack of Blu-ray. Pay no attention to the Blu-ray. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're, already, wanna, we're already to the next step. Just ignore yeah, it. Yeah, we want to want to move the ball down the field. There's right, this. I'll go along with that. Yeah. Uh, That's the best uh, reason I've, I've heard so far. We have three more items to follow up, and I'll just tell you the, the names, and then we'll skip them. Okay. Right, you love the teases. Uh, the iPhone 5 and antenna design. We'll save that for next week. Oh, that's uh, a good one. The, the MacBook Pro, which well, I'll just do this for now. It takes two seconds. The MacBook Pros apparently can be uh, can have 16 gigabytes of RAM in there if you put in super duper expensive 8 gigabyte DIMMs. Right. <laughs> and what will two 8 gigabyte DIMMs run you? Apparently about 1600 bucks. <laughs> um, so the limitation on Nintendo CPU is apparently that it just has two memory channels. Right. So Apple could not add more DIMM slots even if there was room. This is my understanding. But and you can get 16 gigs, but you pay through the nose for it. So I'm sure someone that's out there needs those 16 gigs, and it's good to know that it's possible if you're willing to pay through the nose. Uh, and I got one more, but it's too minor, so we'll skip it entirely. Good. Good riddance to that so, one, I say. So do, we, do we have oh. any time for the actual show today? I think we do. I, right. I, I, only, I spent less than 30 minutes on this, didn't I? Yeah, 35. Yeah. All right. No iLife is an island. And the subtitle. What was the subtitle? I lost the subtitle. I'll find it in a second. You can edit out this pause. In the no, show. I like it. It's very, you know, it's real. It shows that, it shows that you're not the, you know, as well, prepared all my, as people think you are. I had all my web pages open, but then I closed them in disgust when you were late. <laughs> I got to reopen. <laughs> you're right. All right. No iLife is an island. Apple's ongoing failure to recognize how its best customers actually use its products. Mm-hmm. Just reading that, if you were one of the people who shares my complaints, you may already know like everything that I'm about to say. But if you don't share my complaints, this sounds you don't know what I'm going to talk about because it doesn't sound like it makes sense. Uh, so I, I think this is the way into this topic. Uh, the way in is to think about how Apple pictures people using its products. Uh, and you can go pick any error in Apple's history after Jobs' return and say, like, what do they expect people to do? Uh, so sort of at the dawning of the new fancier Macs or the iMacs and basically and the iLife suite in particular. This, this, my impression of how they pictured it and how they would show it in the ads is you or your family or whoever go into an Apple store, you buy a Mac, you get the iLife suite, you bring it home and you take pictures of your kids, you take movies of your kids, you make music, whatever. Uh, every time you use some device, your iPod or, or your iPhone or your digital camera or your camcorder or whatever, you hook it up to your Mac it imports the stuff into their great applications. It organizes your stuff, lets you share them with grandma, lets you video chat with people. You know, you bring all your stuff together, uh, and that's how you integrate Apple's products into your life. And they make your life better because now you've got this great place to manage all your memories and all your media, and to create things and to do interesting things with iMovie and to share it with everybody over the internet uh, using all Apple software, all Apple hardware. Uh, that seems to be what they want and expect to happen and way back when that that was that seemed valid especially like in like 1998 99 when the iMac first came out it's like yeah i'm gonna buy this computer it'll be a family computer this is what we'll do with it but what actually happens and especially among the crazy apple nerds is that they brought home that mac and even if they weren't crazy apple nerds they become crazy apple nerds they bring home the mac and like oh this is great you know i'm doing things i've never done before i'm making movies i'm cutting things together i'm <laughs> using digital media this I'm, I'm master of the universe i love computers and what happens is that, you know, then the mom wants a Mac or then the dad wants one or then the kid wants one or something. And I say, all right, well, yeah, but I love Macs. They have these laptops. Let's get one of those. It looks kind of like a toilet seat, but whatever. We'll get it for you. You know, and then you can have this in your room and then I can have that there. And then, you know, I, I want to use a separate computer for bill paying. So, you know, 
So these, these are Apple's best customers, people who just love the products and they get one and they realize how wonderful it is and they want more. And so, you know, every member of the family has one. Now that may have sounded crazy even, you know, in the late 90s or certainly in the 80s that, that every member of your family would have a computer, that there'd be a husband computer, a wife computer, and each kid has a computer. That's just fantasy land, you know, when yeah, we were, but, uh, and a little bit of Apple's mindset, you know, when all their ads was like, you know, there'll be one computer in your house and we'll all gather around it and we'll do stuff on it and you'll take turns and stuff. Once everybody has a computer, though, Apple's model starts to break down really badly. Um, and the, the best example, I think, the most common one is that if you're a family and you have two Macs, maybe you just bought a new one and there's like the old one is still floating around, but you will eventually end up with two Macs. You don't even have to be Apple's best customer. You're just, you're just an Apple customer. Eventually, you will have two Macs. Um, but you still just have one family. And when you go and take pictures on vacation or something, you have to connect your camera back to a computer to put those pictures on. And you're not going to connect it to two computers and put the pictures in both places. You just want to do it once. But then, then you've, what you've basically done is designated one computer in your house as the iPhoto computer or the Aperture computer or whatever. You know, you're probably not using Aperture, but that's the picture computer. So what happens when, you, when someone comes home from taking the kids out on a trip and you want to take the pictures off the camera and organize them, but someone else is using the quote-unquote picture computer? Uh, you can't use uh, I'm doing something, I'm paying bills, or I'm, I'm writing a paper or whatever. Uh, you'll just have to wait. And it's like, well, you've got two Macs there, but someone is hogging the iPhoto computer. And, and ditto for every other thing. Mm. Uh, syncing iPods is another example. You know, you can only, this was from way, way back, you know, when they said, well, to, to combat piracy, you can only connect your iPod to one computer, and that's like its computer. Uh, and we did that so that you won't go over your friend's house with your five monstrous five gig uh, iPod, <laughs> plug it into their computer, right. and give them all your music illegally. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. Don't steal music, guys. So they said, "No, this is what we're going to do. Your iPod is home out to one computer." And what that means basically is that if there's some new song that comes out and you want to quickly go onto iTunes and buy it because you're a great Apple customer and you just a single comes out and you want to buy it for ninety nine cents, and someone is using the computer, the iTunes computer, the computer that your iPod is synced with, you have to wait doesn't matter that you have four Macs in your house. It, you've now tied specific functions to specific Macs. And this is what I mean by no iLife is an island. Realistically, families exist. And families have many pretty people who produce content and many people who want to manage it. Even if it's just husband and wife. And they want to, you know, one, the husband wants to organize vacation photos, but the wife wants to, you know, browse the web or do something else. You have to shuffle machines so that, okay, well, if you want to do photo organization, you have to do it over here. Right. And, and when, when this happened, I'm like, okay, well, it's 1998, it's 2000, it's 2001. Apple, you know, is still getting used to the idea that they're going to be selling lots of Macs into homes or that this, this phenomenon is going to happen. But surely they'll eventually realize how real people use their products. Surely they'll eventually have some sort of solution for dealing with this. And the best they came up with in how many years? It's been almost 10 years. It has been to make content viewable from other Macs. So, uh, you know, my wife can see the pictures from the iPhoto computer on her Mac but she can't edit them. She can't organize them. And yeah, she can drag them over to copy them, but that takes forever. And now you've got your pictures in two places and you're trying to, you know, there's no good family-friendly solution to doing this. And it's one of those ridiculous issues where Apple is not serving the customers that just want to give it money hand over fist. Like, we want to buy Macs. We want to buy iPods. We want to buy everything. We want to, we want to have a whole house full of your stuff. We just want it to work together. Uh, and And... You know, it still hasn't come, and I don't see it anywhere on the horizon. But every time I do anything with iLife or anything having to do with media on the computer, it burns me that this mindset of one computer, one device still permeates uh, their entire product line. 
the iPods in particular burn because it's not even DRM on the music anymore. And yet, if you plug your iPod into another computer, you can't buy something on that computer and stick it on your iPod because that would be crazy. Yeah, it, it really it it. I would much rather have it be an account level thing for the syncing when it comes to the syncing. Just I, I, anywhere you any Mac you can go on when you sign into your account, it'll it'll work with that. Because right now it's like it's it's like this like. We've got, you know, I've talked about, we have an iPad that's sort of like the family iPad that my wife, my my little kid will use. And really, I'm the one that gets all the apps and and sets everything up. So my wife or my little boy, they'll have to say, oh, well, we want this app. You know, can you get this one? And she, even though she is, you know, a college graduate, uh, she cannot buy an app because it's hooked up to my machine. You know what I'm saying? it's, and, it's, and the apps are a step up still. The apps are at least a step up because at least if you buy an app once, at least if you resign yourself to the ridiculous thing of using a single Apple ID for all your devices, like use dad's Apple ID in every single, because my Apple ID is the one we use on all our devices. Then at least when I buy an app, my wife can put it on her iPod. And it is kind of perverse that her iPod is logged into my Apple ID or right, whatever. Right, right, right. That's but what at I least, mean. But that's, that's still better than at least they're letting it be shared around. What would be the equivalent of the iLife island scenario would be is that if i bought the app and that she'd have to buy it again in a different account to get it on her ipod and she could never you know but what, what's annoying be- though is that is that most families this is this is such a common problem this is this is the frustrating way that it is for everybody this isn't this isn't an edge case usually you yeah. describe edge cases usually you well you it talk started about- out as an edge case because who had all these macs but right. like inevitably if you are an apple customer of any, any stripe you will buy a new mac and your old one you probably won't throw in the garbage it'll probably still be in the house and i i like the fact that they had the migration assistant that was a big problem area that they did address and what i felt like was a reasonably timely manner and the migration system just keeps getting better and better to the point where i actually started using it which is was a big step for me uh, because I was always a manually bring over your stuff. I would like manually put the pref files in place manually. Yeah. I would tweak things at, at an individual file level because I knew where everything went. And I finally decided to give the uh, the migration assistant a try. I think it was Snow Leopard was the first time I did, or maybe it was Leopard. And uh, damn, that thing doesn't just work, right? So that is a, recognizing a scenario that your customers have. They buy a new Mac. They don't. They don't have the knowledge to to do what I used to do and manually drag files over. You know, I remember doing that back from the system six days, just manually putting files over to create my new hard drive. Nobody does that, you know. Regular people don't do that. So they made this migration system. They made it really easy to use, and it works. So they recognized that need. But what they didn't recognize is that you can't just, you know, tying iPhoto to a single computer is a non-starter. Even if you bring the whole library over and, hey, I got this new Mac, and look, there's my old photos. That's great. But now all your old photos are still on your old Mac, and now you've got the photos in two places, and now you've got this split-brain scenario where humans aren't good at keeping track of, oh, well, that vacation's in this computer. And that's what happens to people. They end up with stuff on both computers. Oh, that's over here, but that's over there. But when I come home from the park, I put the pictures of, the, of little Joey on this computer. But you can copy them over there, but then you lose my ratings. But I cropped and rotated them over here, too, so make sure you get the copies. But Ugh, just a gigantic mess. And syncing is really hard, and Apple sucks at it. That's a whole other show. But I don't even think they have to sync. I think they just need to... I, I would be happy as a first step to just, instead of making one computer the iLife computer or the iPhoto computer, make it the iLife server. And then at least, you know, have everything just on the one computer, and the requirement is now, well, that computer just needs to be on. Someone else can be logged into it doing something else on it, but just that computer needs to be on. And then the other the other computers can can possibly painfully over the network uh at least be able to slowly manipulate things organize photos uh, add ratings put keywords in uh you know whatever you're going to do 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 places and or or uh 
the faces thing or what, you know, there's so much you can do so much metadata that you can provide, uh, that you want to be able to write when you're in that sort of, I'm organizing my photos, make a little album of it. Uh, you know, push the album up to the web. iWeb is the same way. iWeb is a kind of a train wreck, but it's the same type of deal. We use iWeb for our family website just because we pay for .Mac and we want something that's password protected for privacy and iWeb fits the bill, but horrible, horrible program. But we have one computer that you can do iWeb from. That's the iWeb computer. And if you just want to put it in a new little blog post, you can't do it from any computer except for that computer and that particular account on that particular computer. So it's a double whammy. All, all of these island type things are places where Apple just doesn't get something that seems to be in Google's DNA, the whole, you know, network computer syncing paradigm. Uh, that's also another show topic, but this, this is a, a minor manifestation of them not getting that. And, you know, I didn't complain about it for years because I figured first the first thing you have to do is make good app that people want to use and then, you know, refine it and, you know, go through one, two or three versions. But I felt like Apple did that. Like they made the iLive suite and they made it better. And now it's pretty darn polished. At some point you have to address this. And I, I gave them many years before, you know, I cut them a lot of slack to say they've got more important things to do. This is and you, you said this isn't an edge case, but I thought, you know, this is kind of an edge case, especially back in the beginning. That you can't, you know, the nerds can't go demanding their pet obscure feature in version one or even version two or version three. But we're on, you know, the fourth and fifth revisions and some apps like iMovie have been totally rewritten at least once already. It's time for them to do something about this. What, what so do now you we suggest can, then? Well, now we can insert the usual fantasy scenario uh, where <laughs> we take the North Carolina data center once again and we yeah. pluck it out of thin air and we say, well, the North Carolina data center, that will solve this problem because surely Apple is using that to insert whatever it is you want Apple to do. So in this case, I will insert, well, surely they're using that to make some sort of server-side, cloud-based, synchronized, iLife, blah, blah. They're not actually doing that, I wouldn't think. Um, but, yeah, they could do a server-side component, but that is just not in their DNA. I think, like I said, I think a good first step would be make, make some sort of iLife server type thing where it's part of the iLife suite. You designate one computer. As the, you don't have to designate it as a server. A server sounds scary. You can make it more like it's like home sharing, but it's read-write. You know, use some existing paradigm that people are comfortable with in terms of, oh, it just appears in your sidebar of your application. You can see these other people's libraries or whatever. The same way it works now. But it's got to be faster because it's dog slow, even over a wired gigabit Ethernet. And, you know, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be read-write. Uh, so I don't, I don't care how they mask it and how they put it into the, the application and whether they call it a server, which they probably don't want to because it's too intimidating, or whether they just call it home sharing version 2 or whatever they want to do marketing-wise. But we just need to get families out of this struggle of having a bunch of different islands in their house with a bunch of different media spread all over the place. And by the way, while they're in there, stop the ridiculous thing where you can only plug the iPod into one computer. That drives me nuts. Like I, I listen to podcasts on the way to and from work. And sometimes the podcast will come out when I'm at work and I have my iPod with me and I have my little stupid USB adapter because the shuffle doesn't have one. And I would love to download that podcast on my work Mac, plug in my, uh, my, you know, little iPod shuffle put the podcast on it for the ride home. But I can't because if I plug my shuffle into my computer at work, my options are erase the whole thing or just listen to what's on it. Now, if you had an iPhone, you'd be able to do that. Yeah. I'm just saying, like the, the iPod. What about an iPod so Touch? Not, an iPod Touch, you can do that too, right? You can download the podcast on the, on the iPod Touch itself. Yeah. Yes. I use the shuffle for commuting just because it's small and you know I don't care if it gets dropped in the ground or whatever. Sure. Or done. Or, or more likely you get mugged and... 
I'm gonna get mugged in the commute, but but yeah, that that burns me is that uh, you know I am the quote unquote owner of both computers. I have the account. It's the same Apple ID logged into both ones. The music is not even a pay thing. It's a free podcast, you know, on the web, and yet I can't stick my iPod into this computer and put the podcast on it and go home without erasing the entire thing. And that's just that's like a ridiculous legacy embarrassment. Do you think that'll change ever? I think the more likely scenario is that the non-touch iPods will all just go away. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, you know, well, hey, problem solved. We don't have a limitation anymore because with an iOS, you can just download it right onto your thing. You don't have that problem. Yeah. That's depressing to me, though. This is a limitation they just can't be bothered to fix because that product line is like, well, it does what it does. It's fading away. Let's concentrate on iOS. It'll be a while. We'll have to wait a while for that, though. Well, speaking speaking of waiting, actually, that's a good segue. We'll do our second sponsor. Uh, waiting is for chumps. Can we agree on that, John? Sure. So why why wait on on your images, your videos, JavaScript, and CSS to download from traditional origin locations? Instead, John, you know what you should use? A CDN. That's right. I heard you say that. Rackspace is partnered. Taking, I was with, taking a drink. Well, I heard I heard CDN like that. CDN. Rackspace has partnered with Akamai and their global CDN to make waiting forever for file downloads a thing of the past. So if you're a web developer, if you're a designer, if you're a, a, a programmer and performance of your site actually matters to you, you should check out Rackspace Cloud Files. It's affordable. And the Akamai CDN is bundled at no additional charge, so you can stop waiting. You can learn more about this at rackspacecloud.com and uh, visit, visit the site and take a look around and, and try it out. That's it. Stop waiting. You know, CDNs, I'm always annoyed when people don't use CDNs. Now, aren't you kind of annoyed if you go to a website that you feel like is a big website and you realize they're not using a CDN? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't like, make sense. It doesn't make sense because they're setting themselves up to, for failure. It's not like it's, it's expensive. Of, it's 2011. It, it's no, it's, really, cheap, it's cheaper. But yeah. that's why you use a CDN because if you had to pay for your own bandwidth and you had even a remotely popular site, it's ridiculously expensive it's cheaper to put the stuff on the CDN and put it near the edge closer to people. But it also the existence of CDNs is kind of like, it's like a symptom of the, of the internet. Like it's like a failure in the internet itself that CDNs are, are necessary and they are definitely necessary because they are, and it's private businesses making money off of a need that's there, which is it would be much better if these read only files were closer to our customers and the internet by itself can't do that for you. So businesses are built on the internet to do that. And they're called CDNs and they've just become just mandatory for like every business that wants to have anything to do with content. Uh, and I guess it's a thriving ecosystem of lots of different companies competing. And I guess we're seeing competition work, but it seems almost like it's, and, and you can't call it a flaw on the internet, but it's, it's almost like if you were building the internet two, or I guess they already built that internet three or four or five, you would say, well, what we've learned now is that there is this class of data that benefits from being closer to the customers and is massively distributed, so we need to build that into the network itself uh, because it's just such a common need. Uh, and, and, you know... Yeah, just the idea the that there are thousands of people downloading the same thing from servers that are not geographically close to them at all, that just it seems so old, old-fashioned. Yeah, and that same data has got a go 20 hops around the world right. to that person. And then the guy in the, in the house next to him does the same thing. And he yeah. asks for that same data. So it goes all the way back across the world and gets it. You know, CDN is the way to go. So some, uh, Duba? I don't know how to say this guy. Dobie? W? 
anyway, one of the our, our friends, uh, the nerds in the chat room, says uh, that wouldn't it be cool? I'm paraphrasing. It wouldn't it be cool if if and when Apple does this this stuff in the cloud, they would have to have a little NAS box that would sort of cache everything in your in your local on your on your LAN. Do people still say LAN? Yeah, there's no no better word for it, really. People still don't say WAN. Regular people don't. Only IT people do. But people yeah. do still say LAN. That would be a neat oh. product. Like a little thing. All it does is just cache the stuff that you you, you frequently access. Well, that's actually, that's actually, speaking of the North Carolina Data Center, I've seen a couple stories floating around about this, and I think that they are probably on the money because it, I, I think this is coming. Uh, the, the idea, getting rid of another ridiculous limitation in Apple's sort of iTunes iLife thing, which is that if you bought a, a song from iTunes and you lost it because you accidentally deleted it or whatever, Apple was like, yeah, too bad about that. You want to buy it again? And and that's not true of applications. Yeah. Even though Apple, you know, I remember when the, the App Store first came out, people were like, well, if I already bought this, what should I do? I mean, it doesn't seem to recognize that I bought it before. It just has a buy button. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to buy it again. I just want it. And then people are like, no, no, just hit the buy button. It'll bring up a dialogue that says, oh, it looks like you've already bought this. Would you like it for free? And that still freaks people out to this day. Anyone new to iOS, if you tell them, well, I went on, on this other thing and and even though I bought it already, can I have it? Oh, yeah, you can. Just hit the buy button. You sure? You sure I'm not buying again? No, you're not buying again. Trust me. And they hit the button and they get a little friendly dialogue that says, it looks like you already bought this again and they, and they feel relief. That's kind of a bad UI for that whole experience. Yeah. Maybe it's intentionally that way, but it's much better than the iTunes experience, whereas if you lose your song, tough luck. Um, now, uh, coming from someone who did uh, a digital media store way back in the, in the year 2002 in the midst of time, uh, I worked for an ebook company, that was one of the biggest benefits that we would sell to people is that yet you buy this digital stuff and they say, well, what if I lose my file? What if my hard drive gets corrupted? We said, no, don't worry. We keep track of everything you bought. It's digital. We have a record. We say you bought this, that, and the other thing. If you ever want to re-download your book, just come to your bookshelf page, big, big selling point of the website. Go to your bookshelf. You know, you have ownership of these things. Redownload any book you've ever bought. We keep track of everything forever and ever. It's your bookshelf. It's just like having a bookshelf at home. These ebooks are real books. You know, you can make a collection of them. And they say, boy, that's great. I can redownload it whenever I want. They feel more comfortable about the experience of buying this digital media, which is sort of, you know, ephemeral to them. And they're afraid it might go away in a puff of smoke at any moment, which <laughs> is true. Listen to the backup show. Uh, so it, the fact that Apple came out with a music store, we're like, well, I remember I was hearing about the iTunes store. I'm like, surely they'll do that same thing. Because like, that's the whole point of making a digital media store. Is you're, that's yeah, one of the why would they? Why would they not do that? Why would they not do that? Now, the reason they didn't do that as far as I've been able to glean, is that uh, not because Apple is stupid about digital media, but because the people they were making a deal with, the record labels, had crazy notions about everything. And mm-hmm. one of their crazy notions was, all right, Apple, we'll give you some music that you can try to do this crazy digital download thing with, but but we're only going to let you, in the contract, let a customer download that song once. So they pay you 99 cents, you give us 60 cents or whatever, and then you let them download that song one time. And you do not let them download it again because I heard from my grandson that downloading a thing more than one time means more than one person is getting it. Right. So one download per song. And I believe, according to all of the vague, smoky rumors that I've read, that that was somewhere, either was or still is somewhere in, in all their music contracts. One download per purchase. Now, you can bet Apple has been trying as hard as they possibly can with all their deals, if, this, if it's even true that this was in their contract, to say, look, guys, this one download per song thing, it's ridiculous. We're selling more music than Walmart for you guys. We have 70% of the market. Can we just get that 
claws out of there because it's stupid and it just makes people pissed off when their hard drive dies and they lose all their music and they come to us and they say you know oh i want my music back and we have to go you know oh no backsies because look at the agreement that you clicked on it says if you lose your music tough luck and it does all say that and everything and sometimes they'll say okay well we'll give you i've heard some some people who have been successfully able to tell apple that they would like some music they already purchased and apple would like you know Sort of give it to them, hush, hush. Okay, here you go. Right, I've I've heard, and I this is I've I haven't heard this from an Apple person, but I've heard this like out there that yeah, third hand, yeah, third hand. That one, there's like a one time we will give you everything you bought clause, like once if you if you if you lose everything, and I think this is set up for those cases of catastrophic failure. I, I had a computer, it was a, some kind of Mac and it crashed. I had a problem. I don't really understand it, but they gave me a new drive and now all my music is gone and I, I hate you. And they'll say, don't hate us. You can have it all back. Everything that you bought from us, but only once. Customer service people want to have something in their back pocket. Yeah. Ever done customer service that you can pull out in the extreme cases where you can just really make the person happy. Now, how they work that out with the with the labels and this mythical contract clause that may or may not exist, I don't know. But we've both heard of that happening. But the rumor going on now, also tied to the North Carolina Data Center, as all rumor, as all Apple rumors must be. <laughs> it's like Area Fifty One now. The, the yeah, data yeah, center. You got to have something to tie. Because, you know. It's a big deal, lots of money. It's an actual physical building, so you can think about it. It's like, it's there, man. There's a building. There's got to be something in there. Aliens? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) The thing is that they're going to say, well, what Apple is going to do now is not a subscription service like Rhapsody where you got unlimited music for a monthly fee or something like that. But what they're going to do is finally say that anything you purchase through us, applications, music, whatever, uh, we will now expose the fact that we have a record of that because obviously Apple does have a record of it and let you re-download that from wherever you are. So if you set up a new Mac and you say, hey, all that stuff that I brought from the iTunes store, put it on this Mac now. It will go out to the magical Apple servers and say, oh, here's all the songs that you bought, put them onto that Mac. Same, you know, authorization for the Apple ID and Fair Play and all that business or, you know, not Fair Play in the case of music without DRM these days. But for the movies and everything like that, Apple, you know, the rules will all be the same. It'll just simply be that they that your stuff has a server-side incarnation. And the the rumors about this data center go all the way up to saying just, oh, now they'll let you read down your music to say everything is going to be on the server. Everything will just live all, there. All your photos, all your iMovies, like everything. Uh, the mm. problem with all these everything plans is that most of the world does not have, you know, uh, Fios connections, like the privileged few. Uh, so mm-hmm. anything that requires you uploading 75 gigabytes of video of your kid it's probably untenable for people with a uh, crappy cable modem that only does, you know, one megabit up or something. Uh, but that's that's the far end of the rumor. The, the closer end, which I think is much more reasonable, is to say that whatever they're going to call this next iteration of iTunes is going to have a server-side component, and at the very least, it will let you start finally re-downloading stuff that you've already purchased. I hope it's much more than that. I hope they do give some sort of server-side solution, but I'm always wary when Apple delves into the server-side realm because historically they have not, it has not been their strength. Or, or as the, the euphemism that I heard in my youth was that their expertise lies elsewhere on this whole sinking front. But, you know, the, but, and, and I, I, that seems to be the case. If you, look at, if you look at MobileMe and before .Mac, anything that had to do with syncing was always really just piss poor. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's a hard problem. And the Google solution to syncing, not to do that show now, but the Google solution to syncing is... There is no syncing. There is only the server. And yeah, obviously Google does syncing, but it's a philosophical difference. Philosophical difference is 
then in Google's case, the canonical representation of your data is on the server and your client is, if anything, just a, a simple cache. Yeah. Whereas Apple's ver, ver, vision of the world rooted in the time before the internet had, had uh, become as prominent as it is, is that your stuff is on your computer and a server-side component is a way station for us to transfer it to other computers or to back it up or whatever. Right. And that scenario, you have to do syncing because then you've got two Macs and we just said that the Mac is the canonical place. So now you have two Macs and they have to sort out who knows what and, and get it all, you know. And technically speaking, there's the differences between these two blur very quickly. But philosophically speaking, if you come at it from the perspective that the computer is canonical, uh, you make different decisions than the Google thing where, the, where server-side is canonical. Uh, I think long-term, server-side being canonical is the right decision, but lots of people don't feel that way. You see a lot of pushback on Google with like, I don't want all my stuff in the cloud. I want to have a local copy. I want to feel like I own it. And never mind that te the technical difference between the two may blur to the point where there is no distinction and that all your data is in both places on both platforms. But people who are afraid of Big Brother or whatever are uh, don't like that about Google. They don't like the lack of control. And, and, and they have reasons not to like it, like that recent uh, thing where a bunch of Gmail users apparently lost all their mail. Right, for, or at least for a period of time, and then they were able to restore some of right. it. Right. But you don't know. Like when that happens, like people are still like, well, am I going to get it back? Because there are some cases where people don't get their data back. And uh, so there's still that barrier to overcome. So Apple is still firmly in the camp of like, your computer is yours. We sell you the stuff. It's on your computer. Uh, and that's and that's the real representation. If we give you services to help with that, don't worry, we're not stealing all your data, and we're certainly not going to say that we're the only place where your data is kept. That was like three three topics in one. Yeah, not bad. Oh, and and we're right in an hour too, so nobody can shout at us. Yeah, good work, man. And you're at PAX all weekend, so you how's how's PAX been? Crowded. Yeah, like, I feel like uh, you know that that scene in Jerry Maguire where he's in the, the hotel room by himself at night with like the fever and the blanket around yeah, him. Yeah, he comes up, he comes up with the with the mission statement, with the memo. I, when I'm at PAX, I just I just in that fever, and I'm like, listen, 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 less money, fewer tickets. <laughs> you know that one with it the, <laughs> because they can't even. That's good. That that's what I want out of PAX. I want them to make less money and sell fewer tickets because they moved from the Heinz Convention Center. Uh, which is uh, sort of a medium-sized to small uh, convention center to the big giant, I don't even know what it's called, but the big giant Boston Expo Convention Center, which is just massive. But then they just sold more tickets. And that's not the way, you know, I said, well, last year was everyone was complaining because the lines were too long and it was crowded and it was crazy and you couldn't move. So said, don't worry, we're going to a bigger convention center next year. I don't know what the ratios are. All I know is that I waited on some monster lines today. And the bigger convention center, I guess, helped you feel less claustrophobic and certainly gave the lines lots of room to stretch out. Plus some just hour-long monster lines. Wait an hour only to be turned away in the last 600 yards because mm. they close the door and then you got to go to the overflow room and then you got to start waiting on the other line. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So it's tough. But I, I still enjoy it. still enjoy hanging out with the nerds, seeing the nerds talk, seeing what there is to see. But I just wish that they would sell fewer. Like, and, I, and, of course, I would like it if they would just up the price. You know, If you don't want to sell fewer tickets. Sell fewer tickets and just charge more. That was Jerry's theory too. You know, fewer clients, but we'll treat them better and we'll charge them more, presumably. But you know what happened to him? He got fired. So obviously, I don't know how to run a convention. I just wish it wasn't quite as crowded. But yeah, I will be there all week, all weekend, waiting in lines. We'll have fun there, and we'll be back uh, for our regular time next week, Friday at, at noon Eastern, right? I hope so. 
Hopefully you don't have any more big PAX conferences to go to, and I, I won't injure myself again. We'll see. Okay. Well, that's a promise. So thanks, uh, everybody, for tuning in. If you like this show, whatever you've been doing for this show on iTunes has been working. Because uh, as we were mentioning before the, the show started, uh, the show is new and noteworthy again. Or it's just noteworthy, I guess. I think people have been downloading a lot, but there haven't been a lot of reviews coming in. So if you if you oh, like the show, stinks. you should leave like a two or three line review in there. I don't know how much that helps, but oh, it helps. No, it really helps. It really. I'm helps. kind of bothered that there's like no comment section on you know because I'm used to everything I do having a comment section hanging off the bottom of it, which is also another show topic that we'll get to eventually. Uh, but since there's no comic section comments section on the podcast, I read the reviews on the uh, the iTunes thing as my form of feedback. And when there's nothing there, I feel sad. Yeah, and we don't want a sad John. Of course, by asking for comments, I'm also simply asking for people to, to increase the number of bad comments, which will make me sad, too. But I like bad comments. Again, that's another show topic. I should add that to the list if you didn't know it was already there. The whole online thing and Maybe feedback. Maybe you can comments. persuade me to, to do comments, because I haven't... I'm not sold. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't do it on the 5x5 five five side, because comments means you have to have moderators. Yeah. It's just it's a whole big... Like, you know what the deal is there. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I would not try to persuade you to do that. But I'm just saying that at, by their nature, podcasts are not are a medium that happens over audio, and, and it's not a web page somewhere. Yeah. Definitely another day, another topic uh, for another day. Yes. So thanks. John, have a great weekend. You too.